The reading is from Luke 7, 11 to 23, on page 1035 in the Church Bible. And on the screen? Yeah. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. John's disciples told him all about these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I wonder this morning um, if you could think for, with me for a minute about a time when you experienced something that you were completely unprepared for. It might have been sort of a shock, something happened sort of traumatic. It could be you were just a, a moment of, of beauty. It could be just something that was just a surprise or what have you, but uh, that you just had never even imagined experiencing. And, and then think for a minute about what that was like. Being encountering something that you were just completely sort of unprepared for. Well, hold on to that for a minute, because we'll come back maybe draw back that in. But um, today we're reading uh, this passage and um, one of the, the characters that we read about is John the Baptist. Now if you've sort of been around church all your life, you sort of kind of know who John the Baptist is. But um, just, to, just as a reminder for us, or, or maybe you sort of kind of have heard of John the Baptist. I mean there's churches all over named after John the Baptist. But, but just to tell you a little bit about John. John um, was actually a relative of Jesus. John, uh, John was a cousin of Jesus. In fact, if you remember just sort of during Advent season, we were talking about um, John's mother, Elizabeth, that um, Elizabeth was uh, Mary's aunt. And, and Mary, when she became pregnant, she went to see her auntie Elizabeth. And when she went to see her auntie Elizabeth, who was very old, the, the Bible says that, no, that's not me, the Bible says she was really old, it says that she was with child, that, uh, that John was literally in her womb and leapt inside of her when Mary showed up with Jesus inside of her. 
And uh, so they were, they were kin, they were re- relatives. Um, but John was, um, John was a prophet. In fact, we're told that, that from, from all the prophets that had ever lived before John, that there was nobody like him, no prophet that could ever compare to John the Baptist. And, and he was specifically sent to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry. John lived out in the desert. He uh, sort of had grew up and, and lived away from everyone else. He was sort of an ascetic. He wore sort of uh, different clothes than everybody else. He had a different diet than everyone else. Um, and he began out in the middle of the desert to call people to repent. Call people to turn because he, they, he was preparing them for the Messiah who was to come. And so he began to baptize people out in the Jordan River, sort of down outside of a little ways, uh, fairways outside of Jerusalem. And, um, and out in the desert, he was baptizing people as a sign of repentance, a sign of a change that they knew needed to take place in order to be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And, uh, and it says that just sort of all of Jerusalem, and some of the accounts says literally sort of all of Jerusalem at one point or another made their way out to see this sort of strange guy out in the middle of the desert baptizing people, telling them to get ready because the Messiah is on his way. And then one day, as he was doing all that and preparing people, lo and behold, Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, John begins to sort of point to Jesus and says, like, sort of, that's him. And then Jesus presents himself to John, and Jesus comes and says to John, John, baptize me. And John's like, whoa, no, that, you don't need to be baptized. You're sort of the one I'm preparing the way for. And Jesus says, no, go ahead. And so John baptizes Jesus, and as he baptizes Jesus, sort of heavens open up, the, a dove comes down and a voice calls out of heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and from that moment on, Jesus begins sort of not long after to begin his, his ministry and, and, and something amazing happens. John recognizes that this is a shift and, and so um, before long, John's disciples, the people who've been following after John, they start leaving John and they start going and following Jesus and people come to John and say, John, this is really bad. The crowds are down. The giving on Sunday is down. Like, you know, things are, you know, this is not going in the right direction and John says, no, you don't understand. He said, I, I have to decrease and he must increase and we don't read it in the passage here but in the other passages um, uh, that talk about this this moment um, what John finds himself now in prison he's been imprisoned and it's from prison that um, he is hearing these reports of all the things that are going on all the things that Jesus is doing and amazingly Despite all that John has seen, all that he's sort of been through, all that he has, uh, you know, his whole life, he hears these reports of what Jesus is doing, and his response is, I don't know what to make of this. I find that a bit comforting, actually. 
that, G, that John, even though he's sort of his whole ministry, his whole life has been sort of focused towards Jesus, Jesus actually outdoing the thing that G, he was called to do. John's sort of like, I don't, I don't exactly know. This is unprecedented. I'm not sure what to make of it. Well, there's something about unprecedented things in our lives, aren't they? Things that we don't have uh, an example of. When something in our life happens that un- is unprecedented, often we sort of can't even fully, we don't fully see it because we don't have categories to sort of put it in. And then even if we do sort of kind of come to understand that something unprecedented is happening um, because we don't, again, sort of don't have the, the way to explain it, we come up with, we, we, we use things that are familiar with us to explain it. For instance, when the first automobile was created, was made. Do you know what people called the first automobile when they saw it? A horseless carriage. Why? Because they didn't know, there was no other, we didn't have an explanation. It's kind of like a carriage, but there's no horse. So we'll just call it a horseless carriage because we don't really know what else it is. And, and, and so we, when we face unprecedented things in our lives, we sort of don't know exactly what to do. But it's, it's not just about constructs of sort of, um, you know, uh, mental uh, uh, constructs, but it's actually also experiential things. When we experience something that we've never experienced before, that's unprecedented in our own lives, even if we have the constructs to sort of theoretically understand it, in the moment we can kind of completely lose our way. There's a uh, sociologist, uh, uh, Shoshana Zuboff, and um, she talks about um, one day they were in their home and as they were in their, their home, uh, their house was hit by lightning. And, I mean, you know, you can imagine the disorientation that happens when, if your house is hit by lightning. And she said the house was hit by lightning and then all of a sudden there was smoke beginning to come up from, from, the, from the ground floor. And, and uh, she was upstairs and so uh, as everybody ran out of the house, she began to think about, wait a minute, I don't want smoke damage to, dam- I wanted to do as little damage to the house as possible. So she ran uh, to, on the first floor and she started closing all the doors to all the bedrooms around the house so that they wouldn't be smoke damaged. And then she came down and she started grabbing all of the uh, um, photo albums and all sorts of things and she began to grab them and take them out and set them out on the porch and then she'd go back in and grab something else and she'd set them on the porch and, and as she's in the midst of doing this and, and the fire sort of is continuing to sort of rage and, and build, um, the, 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 the fire chief shows up and, and when he, they, he sees her kind of go, getting ready to go back into the house, he grabbed her and pulled her out and like pulled her away and said, no, you can't go back in there. And she's like, no, and, and I'm just trying to, you know, get everything sorted, you know, so it doesn't get damaged and all that sort of thing. And she said, just as he was doing that and saying, you can't do this, she said, she turned back around and all of a sudden the house is boom, erupted in flame, the whole thing. And she said, within a matter of minutes, it was gone, everything She had never experienced anything like that. I mean, she probably in hindsight could say, oh yeah, lightning, okay, probably a fire, yeah. She probably could have in, you know, 
thought enough through, but in the moment, having never experienced anything like that, she's just thinking, oh, I'll close the doors and I won't be fire damaged. <laughs> and I'll set the things on the porch and they'll be just fine. Until we experience something unprecedented, we often just don't know exactly what to do with it. And I think that's part of what's happening with John is John's now sitting in prison and, and he is hearing these reports and, and the reports, I mean, we, we just read one of the stories, but let me just, there's sort of two stories, the, the two, this story we just read and the one before that is, uh, the, the story right before this is, is an encounter that Jesus has a, a, a Roman centurion a Roman centurion, uh, his slave, uh, his servant was, was ill and, and, and dying. And, and so the Roman centurion had gone to Jesus, sent for Jesus and, and uh, said, you know, I, Jesus, would you come and, and heal this servant of mine? And, uh, and Jesus heard this plea and he went and turned and started to go to heal this servant. And, and the Roman centurion all of a sudden showed up and he said to Jesus, wait a minute, you don't, you don't need to go. He said, because I'm, I mean, I'm a person under authority and I understand what it's like to be an authority and, and you have authority as well. And so all, I, all you have to do is say the word. And I know that if you say the word that my servant will be healed. You don't even need to take any of your time. Just say the word. Jesus is like amazed. He's like, nobody in Israel has had this kind of faith. And so Jesus speaks the word and the centurion's uh, servant is, is healed. And then this passage, this, this woman who is just brokenhearted, she's a widow. She's already lost her husband and now her son has died. And Jesus comes along just as the procession, the funeral procession is going by and he sees the pain, he sees the, the brokenheartedness, he sees the sorrow and he sees all of that and, and Jesus just stops the procession and goes over to this boy, this young man in the coffin and just says, Get up. And this, this man rises from the dead right there in front of everybody and he reunites him with his mother and it's quite a moment. You see, John's getting this report of these activities of Jesus that are unprecedented. What do I do with them? You see, John had a, an understanding of what he understood the Messiah should be up to. And it probably was much more along the lines of seeing God's people uh, set free from Roman occupation. <laughs> the, the kingdom being established and a new king coming and, and probably much more political in its, in its sort of thinking. And he's finding out that Jesus is out there healing Roman soldiers' servants. And he's sort of bringing people back to life. And he's sort of like, there's nothing like this has ever happened. But at the same time, interestingly enough, Jesus is not going around telling anybody that he's the Messiah. He's not owning the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one in that way. In fact, he kind of keeps being a bit sort of obtuse about it with people. When people come and ask him, and even his own disciples, who do you say that I am? He's sort of always doing that and so John is in this moment of not knowing what to do I'm in prison I didn't think my ministry was going to I know I needed to decrease but really 
So he sends word. Jesus, are you the one? Or is there another one coming? (laughs) Are you the one because you don't quite fit the categories that I understand? I don't quite have the experience to fully kind of make this work in my mind. So are you the one? I mean, you don't even call yourself the Messiah. Or should we be expecting someone else? And being so like Jesus, he doesn't give a yes or no answer. (laughs) His response to John is, well, he lists some things. Listen to this list of things again. Jesus says to John, here's what Here's what people are experiencing. The blind, well, they're receiving their sight. The lame, well, they're walking. Those who have leprosy, well, they're being cleansed. And the deaf, guess what? The deaf are able to hear again. And the dead? Well, the dead are being raised. And, and, and just generally, good news is being proclaimed to the poor. John, this is what people are experiencing. This is what's really happening. It's unprecedented, I know, but it's real. It's going on. You might not exactly be experiencing it yourself right now in prison as you sit there. And you may be filled with questions, but this is what's going on. And on top of that, for John, would have been the fact that this list of things that Jesus is declaring and telling John about what is happening and what people are experiencing, in all likelihood it triggered a passage, the passage we've been sort of using as an overarching sort of theme these last few weeks as we've been talking, and that is from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Listen to these words. This was, in a way, this was a bit of Jesus' sort of manifesto, in a way, for his own ministry. You see, when Jesus began his ministry, he began with and in, in the synagogue one day, and he was called upon to be the reader. Just like Carolyn was reading earlier, except he had a scroll, and he would have unrolled the scroll to the place where the, to the next place, the next reading for the day in the lectionary. He would unroll it, and here was the reading. And, and it was this reading that now is triggering, no doubt, with John, understanding and trying to put a place and an understanding and a category around all of this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness and recovery of sight for the blind. 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. John, this is what people are experiencing. And by the way, John, this is the category I fit in. You know this prophecy in Isaiah. That's who I am. It doesn't matter whether I'm telling everybody or that. It's just who I am and it's just what's unfolding in front of your eyes. I think today, 2,000 years on, it's easy for us to think that the ministry of Jesus isn't unprecedented. (laughs) I grew up in church all my life. I literally have grown up in church all my life. (laughs) Since I was the tiniest babe brought to church. And it's hard for me to think of Jesus' ministry as unprecedented because it's sort of been something I've always been around. But the reality is that even for those of us who've been around church and Jesus for all of our lives, there are new things that he does in our lives that we sometimes just have never experienced before. We need to invite and give opportunity for new things to unfold. But the problem with people like me that have sort of been around it all of our lives is you sort of don't realize that for other people how unprecedented it is for them. That they've never had an experience like that. That we hear stories of people who have never known Jesus, never been introduced to Jesus, never really heard much about Jesus. And when they encounter Jesus, something dramatic happens in their lives. Something that beforehand they even couldn't have even comprehended or had explanation for. And yet, after coming and encountering Jesus, they give testimony and they say, life is completely different. I see in a way I've never seen before. I'm experiencing something I've never experienced before. Life is new and transformed. I think the ministry of Jesus needs to be unprecedented again in our lives. Because there's no one like him. There's no one that we can compare him to. There's no one that can heal a broken heart the way that Jesus can heal a broken heart. There's no one that can help us see the way that Jesus can help us see. There's no one that can help us walk the way that Jesus can help us to walk. There's no one that can open our ears and help us to hear and understand the way that Jesus can help us hear and understand. There's no one that can breathe life back into us the way that Jesus can breathe life back into us. And there is no one that has the news, the good news that Jesus brings. We need to encounter him afresh and anew. And maybe you've never encountered him before and you say I just don't even I can't quite 
understand even what that would be like. All I can say is, it's unprecedented. <laughs> there is no example in your life before this that can explain what it's like to know Jesus. Isaiah 61, that passage that Jesus was hearkening to a little later on, says this, instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double proportion in the land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adores his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes a young plant come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteous, righteousness and praise spring up before the nations." That's a picture of being alive, being fully alive in a way that only Jesus can bring about. To be adorned in beauty, to be springing up new life, to find joy everlasting. So John, I know I don't fit any of the categories that you have in your mind, but this is who I am. And this is what's to come. Life, Jesus says, life and life more abundant. May we know that abundance of who he is. May we experience him afresh and anew. May we encounter him and be transformed and receive something fresh and new of the newness of life, the fullness of life that he wants to offer. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think he longs, he longs for us to invite his work in us. Even when it doesn't fit our categories. In fact, maybe even best when it doesn't fit our categories. Amen. Would you pray with me? Let's just take a moment. I'll invite the worship team to come forward and prepare for our last song let's just pray Lord we thank you we thank you that you do things beyond our understanding <laughs> in fact quite honestly if we could understand and grasp it all we would have no need of you <laughs> so we thank you that you do unprecedented things in our lives Lord, today we just say, come, Lord Jesus. Come show yourself new and afresh to us. I want to pray especially, maybe 
Maybe you're here today and you would just say, I don't have any understanding. I don't even know how to fit this Jesus stuff in a category. And I just want to say today, just all you have to do is just welcome him. Just welcome him. Say, I'm open. I, I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want, I want to be changed by you. Lord, we thank you that you hear our cry. We thank you that, Lord, when we do any small step of reaching out towards you, of opening ourselves towards you, it says that you, you move close to us. So today, we, we just open ourselves to you fresh and anew. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, may we see the brokenhearted healed. Lord, may we see the blind receive their sight. Lord, those that are deaf and can't hear, may they hear again. Lord, where we are lame, help us to walk. And Lord, in the midst of difficulty in the midst of struggle, in the midst of what seems like nothing but bad news around us. May we hear your message of hope and of good news. And may we be transformed by you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.